Jeremiah 31, 7 to 14. And uh, before I read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, which you have given to us. And God, we do pray that you would help us this morning to be uh, good students, that you would help us to be uh, good listeners. God, that we would um, that we would hear with ears that are ready to hear. And God, that we would actually listen with minds that are uh, eager to understand. And God, that we would listen with hearts that are ready to be changed uh, more and more into the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 31, verses 7 through 14. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. We had been looking at uh, the book of First Peter, and uh, week after week, kind of making our way through that, we are actually starting a new book this week, and that is First John. Uh, the reason for this is we have been in the Gospel of John for quite a while now in uh, the messages each week. And as we are nearing the end of uh, his gospel, uh, it would be very helpful to read one of the letters that John writes. Same John, one of the closest uh, disciples to Jesus, who has uh, had been with him and saw what he did and heard what he said for three years. And even on the occasions that Jesus only took a few uh, people, he's one of them. And so... He got to see even more than most of the other disciples, definitely more than the crowds, definitely more uh, than uh, the teachers and the Pharisees. And so John, writing later in life as, a, uh, as an older man, looking back on all of this and trying to help people to understand what this is really about, does so as an eyewitness. And as he writes this short little letter, it's amazing how many of the same themes he hits on as he does in his gospel. And so as we near the end of his gospel, let's take a look at the letter that he writes and kind of let him remind us of everything that 
that he has said through the gospel. This is the first four verses, and as we go week to week, we will just continue through um, this letter. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, as we come to our sermon text this morning, I want you to remember the... Uh, we were just talking about in the children's sermon. And that is this idea of teaching and of learning, of kind of teacher-student relationship and the opportunities to teach and to learn. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Maybe you've had this experience on a Sunday morning where you're just like, I, I don't understand what you're saying. I get that. <laughs> or maybe you've had this experience uh, in in a class that you've taken at some point, or maybe you've had this experience at a brand new job where your supervisor or the person just above you is showing you how it's done and you watch them go through it and you're like, I I don't get it. Like, it, it seems like I understand and then I go to do it myself and it just doesn't work. I don't get it. What am I doing wrong here? And if you've ever had that experience, you know that what, you know the expression, the learning curve, right? And how, There are things that are much more difficult when you're first beginning, but then over time you get kind of over the hump and you get past that learning curve and then, okay, now I get it. And then it's not so difficult every time you go through that. Well, here's the problem with the learning curve. A lot of times it seems too steep and it seems insurmountable. And so for the student who faces this learning curve, we say, never mind. Never mind, not worth it. I'm done. I'm out of here. And a lot of times, even if the student is willing, the teacher says, this is taking them too long. I can do this, no problem. What's wrong with you? And they give up teaching. And so on either the student or the teacher end, the whole process can end too early. And actual learning doesn't take place. Now, thankfully, as we have... Jesus teaching his disciples. We have a very patient teacher. And so he's not going to stop on his end. And so then the question is, are the disciples going to continue? Are they going to push forward with learning what it is that he's trying to teach them? Are we as disciples now going to continue to push forward in learning the things he's trying to teach us? Or do we say, I, I don't get it. And that seems too difficult. It doesn't come naturally. Maybe there are some people that that's easier for than me, and maybe I'll just not push forward this. If that's you, please don't do that. (laughs) Please continue to push forward knowing that you have the perfect teacher, and I'm not talking about myself. You have Jesus as the perfect teacher 
who is perfectly patient and will meet you right where you are and help you to take the next step always. Um, and this is what we see him doing with the disciples in the upper room. And we've been looking at him in the upper room with his disciples for the last several weeks. And, uh, and we're nearing the end of his time in the upper room. And of course, he knows, but the disciples are still having a hard time getting this, that when they leave the upper room, this is pretty much it on their time with him. And so he's been trying to explain this to them, and he's trying to explain to them the things that they're going to need to know while he is away. And so he takes another run at it, and he gives them this teaching in verse 16. John 16, verse 16, he says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me. There you go. Make sense? Well, maybe. For those of us living on this side of the cross and the resurrection, we read this teaching, and Jesus, we know that the next day he's going to the cross, and then three days later he's going to rise from the dead, and so it makes perfect sense to us that, of course, Jesus says, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And we're like, right, 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 got it. Gonna die, raise again, got it. <laughs> well, what if you're in that room? What if you're one of those disciples? Is that going to make sense to you? Probably not. Jesus is now explaining to them something that they don't have categories for. They just don't. It doesn't make any sense to them. I was thinking about it like, what, how could you have a similar type experience? And uh, the thing that I came up with, and I'm sure there are better examples than this, but this one made me chuckle, so it's what I'm going with. <laughs> Imagine you could uh, learn how to speak dog so that you could talk with your pet and you could talk to your dog and he could understand everything you're saying. And you start trying to explain to your dog the importance of filing your income tax on time. He might understand the, the words or the barks that you're, that you're giving, but there's going to be no mental conception of any of that because it's so foreign to all of his experience as a dog. Why in the world? What are taxes? What is money? What is the government? What are you, this doesn't make any sense to me. All right, like I say, a silly example there made me chuckle. Uh, and, it's, and it is different than this, especially uh, what we're talking about. The, but with this, Jesus actually has a purpose for telling his disciples all the things that he's been telling them. But the problem is the disconnect between what it is he's trying to explain to them and what all of their previous experience has taught them. It's, such, it's the same kind of disconnect as us talking with our dogs about the things that are going on uh, in our lives. And so he gives them this teaching. In a little while, you'll see me no more. And after a little while, you'll see me. Listen to how many more times that phrase comes up. As then, we have the disciples who rather articulately say, huh? Verse 17, at this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more? And then, after a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, which is something he said earlier in the evening multiple times. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Now, you've been there, haven't you? You've had these kinds of uh, 
frustrated feelings when someone is trying to teach you something and you're like, that makes no sense. I don't understand what in the world that could possibly mean. That's what they're dealing with. And I think at this point that the disciples are kind of in that moment of, do we push forward with this? Do we ask him about what in the world he's talking about? Or just we say, we just go, I guess we'll just never, we'll never get it. So, oh, well. And so I think that's where they're asking each other at this point, trying to decide what's the mood of the group here. Is this one of those things we're going to pursue? Or is this one of the things we're just going to let go? And Jesus, as the perfect teacher, steps into that conversation. He knows right where they are. He knows they don't get it. And he says, verse 19, Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, isn't that great? (laughs) He saw they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? Spot on. And then he explains. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then he gives them an illustration. So that's, that's the main thing, he said. So first he's explaining that the, in a little while you'll see me no more. And what happens when you don't see me? You're going to grieve. But then you are going to see me again. What's going to happen when you see me again? You're going to rejoice. But there's a flip side to it. And that is what's going to happen in the rest of the world when you see me no more. The rest of the world's going to rejoice. He's preparing them for when he goes to the cross the next day. And when he goes to the cross the next day, it's going to seem from their perspective like everything is over. It's all over. We thought he was going to be the king, but he's dead. It's over. He's not going to be the king. And everything that we thought he might be after hearing him and after seeing him, everything that we thought was going to happen, none of it's going to happen. And I guess he wasn't who we thought he was going to be. I think we were wrong. And now we've invested our lives in nothing. When it seemed like such a beautiful thing. But it's over. And he said, in this moment, you're going to grieve. You are going to weep and you are going to grieve the loss of everything that you thought was going to be the case. And while that's happening, just to make matters worse, the people around you are going to be celebrating. They're going to be rejoicing and celebrating for the same reason you're grieving. Because they are the ones who did not want me to be the king and who think that they have achieved ultimate victory by killing me. So they will rejoice and it will rub salt in your wounds of grief. You're going to grieve. Why is Jesus telling them this? (laughs) And one of the reasons he's telling them this is so they will know it before it happens. So that while they're experiencing it, while they're in the midst of this pain and of uh, sorrow and of grief and everybody around them is celebrating, they'll say, wait a second. Wait a second. He said this was going to happen. We didn't understand at the time, but he said this was going to happen. And so maybe if this part came true, maybe the next part is going to come true too. Well, what was the next part that he said? That after the grieving, after the not seeing me for a little while, (laughs) that we would see him again and that we would rejoice. 
And so he gives them, and that our grief would turn to joy. And then he gives them this illustration. Verse 21, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. This is the image that he gives them. The image of a woman giving birth to a child, giving birth to new life. This is what Jesus has actually come to accomplish in the world, giving birth to a new creation, giving birth to new life. But the way that it's accomplished is through his death, through his resurrection, through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Well, that's the way every new life comes into this world, is through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. It's good to have people who are actually in the room who can nod along with that. <laughs> I see those who have been through that here like, you telling me. Uh, <laughs> a lot of pain and a lot of suffering that goes into uh, bringing a new life into this world. And Jesus says, but I want you to think about that. That when a woman is going through this, often it is to the point that she thinks it's over. This is the end. And yet, if she survives it, I know some don't, but if she survives it and the baby survives and all is well again on the other side, he says, it, it's just a matter of time before all of that pain and all of that sorrow and all of that anguish that she was going through begins to be swallowed up in joy because of the new life that all of that was for. He says, this is what it's going to be like for you. This is going to be your experience, that there is a joy on the other side of this that doesn't take away the pain, but makes all that pain pale in comparison, that makes all that pain not meaningless pain, not meaningless suffering, but suffering that was for a purpose and that was for a great and good purpose. He says, you're going to suffer, which again, come on. Can we just at least appreciate the fact that Jesus is the one who's going to hang on the cross? And he's the one talking to them about, guys, I know this is going to be hard for you. Hard for them. (laughs) This is going to be really hard for him. (laughs) And yet, even as hard as it's going to be for him, he's still thinking of the others. Saying, guys, I know this is going to be hard for you. I know it's going to be hard. And you're going to think it's over. And I want you to know it's not over. In a little while, you will see me no more. And after a little while, you will see me. You will grieve and mourn, or you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You, but you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. The word joy shows up all through this. We're going to get another instance of it in the last two verses. He says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Because that's what's been going on, right? (laughs) They didn't understand what he was talking about. So he has to come to it. You're not going to ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. That's actually the second time we've heard that phrase today. The first was in 1 John where he says, we write these things to you 
write this to you to make our joy complete. And what was the purpose that he said he was writing? (laughs) We would know that we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, and we want you to have that fellowship with us and with the Father and the Son as well. That's what this is all about. And he says, and by uh, getting this word out to you, that's how we make our joy complete, is to have this fellowship all together with Father and Son. What Jesus is saying here is the same kind of thing. He's saying, once I go, it's like you're not going to need to ask me anything. But that's not because you no longer have questions. But what this means is when I go uh, to the cross, when I'm raised again, you now have direct access to God the Father through me. And you will start asking God the Father in my name. And he will be the one to answer your questions. He will be the one to meet you where you are and to help you where you need to go next. In other words, you will have fellowship with me and with the Father. And that is where our joy becomes complete. Now, we have looked at this uh, idea of joy before, but let me just touch on it briefly. We're not talking about happiness. We're not talking about things that are uh, situationally or circumstantially dependent. We're talking about the joy that comes from this connection with God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son, by uh, the Holy Spirit, all of it together, so that whatever we're facing, we still have this abiding joy. My favorite book on this, by the way, is actually a very, very short book. Uh, It's uh, middle of the New Testament there, Book of Philippians. One written by Paul as he is in prison. And you could look at everything from the outside and say his circumstances are terrible. And yet you read this letter and it's just dripping with the joy that he has in Christ. And he says, you know, over and over again, oh, oh, you think this part is bad? Yeah, you know, that's not great. But I tell you what, one thing that Jesus has shown me is how he's got the victory in that. So sure, I'm in prison there are better places to be, I suppose, but, uh, but because I'm here, guess what? Roman guards are now hearing about Jesus. That's fantastic. Because, yeah, sure, there are people who are out preaching only to try to stir up trouble for me, but you know what? People are still hearing about Jesus. That's fantastic. Yeah, sure, I might be executed at the end of all this, or I might re- be released. And, you know, honestly, when I look at it, if... If I'm executed, I get to go be with Jesus. If I'm released, I get to come be with you. I love Jesus. I love you. I don't even know which one to hope for. <laughs> and every part of, uh, of his experience, it's not his circumstances that, uh, that affect his joy. The joy just keeps on coming as he sees Jesus in everything, as he sees Jesus continue at work in everything, as he continues to have this fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wherever he is and whatever he's going through. And I think this is what um, Jesus means when he says both your joy will be complete and no one will take away your joy. I think that was one of the things that really frustrated people about Paul. Like, what do you do to a guy like that? How do you stamp out that joy? And he you can't. There is nothing that can take that away. In fact, he even says at the end of the letter, you know, that um, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. And it is this, it, Uh, I should probably read it exactly. 
Ah, should have marked it too. Here we go. Oh, no, I shouldn't have marked it because now I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, (laughs) It says, uh, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Um, It says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And he goes through all of them. I know what it is to be this and this. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is where his strength comes from. This is where his joy comes from. It's in this connection that he has, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Do they understand it? No. (laughs) They don't. But he is patient with them, and he continues to teach them. And as long as they continue to honestly want to learn, they're going to learn this. Here's the other part of it we have to hit on this idea he mentions twice in my name asking in my name what does it mean to ask in jesus name when i was in first grade uh i really wanted a red bicycle that was top on my list and i asked god for a red bicycle and i did so in what i thought was the way to do it in jesus name and it did not happen. I did not get a red bicycle. I don't think that means Jesus got this wrong. I think this means I got it wrong as, as a first grader. Because I was using this kind of phrase of in Jesus' name as though that is the, the, the magic word. That as long as you say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, then now God has to do it. Whatever it is you've said, he's got to do it because you said in Jesus' name. Aha, you got him. That's not it at all. <laughs> but it means as you come as one who is in Christ, as you come as Jesus comes, as you pray the things that Jesus prays, as you pray as his disciples, when he taught his disciples, here are the things to pray for. And he teaches them these things. And he says, now ask, seek, knock. I mean, what father is going to give his son, if he asks for uh, bread, is going to give him a stone. If he asks for, uh, what's the other one? fish is going to give him a snake. You don't, you don't do that as parents, and God's not going to do that to you. But with all of it, it's a matter of asking like Jesus asks. That's what it means to ask in Jesus' name, in this relationship of love and of trust, in this uh, posture of humility, where we don't come to God and say, you do this for me because I said so. Oh, by the way, here's the magic word. <laughs> but we come as those who say, you are in charge, not my will, but yours be done. And then we ask that he would do things, um, that he would give to us what we need to do the things he's calling us to do. And Jesus says, if that's what you're going to do, if that's what you're going to ask, you don't have to worry about it. He's going to take care of you. I have seen... Lately, um, a lot of birds flying around. I don't know if you've noticed this. There's been a bunch of birds. I've been driving through town, and there will be birds that, like, fly in front of my car and just, like, fly right in front of my car, like, where everything seems to slow down, and you can actually see the individual wing beats and everything and feathers. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, I have not hit anyone yet. But, <laughs> but every time 
I see birds flying. It is just another reminder of what Jesus said. Look at the birds of the air. They're not worried about all this stuff because Father, their Heavenly Father is taking care of them and you are much more valuable than they. So we don't need to worry. This, again, is this other part of uh, what it means to have our joy complete, to have this kind of fellowship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that whatever the circumstances are, for him to take care of us does not mean our circumstances are going to be great. But for him to take care of us means that he is going to be with us through it all, that even if we are in a Roman prison like Paul, we will still have joy. Even if we are uh, disciples who have made it through those dark days of uh, Jesus going to the cross. We know he will still be with us and that there will be joy. Even if we have been uh, a church in exile, so to speak, we know he will still be with us and that we can still have joy. Whatever uh, the circumstances are today, and let me tell you, six months ago, we didn't know today was going to look like today. And we have no idea what things are going to look like six months from now. But what we do know <laughs> is that Jesus has promised to be with us and, to, and has invited us into this fellowship with one another and with the, the Trinity. Today's Trinity Sunday, by the way. <laughs> into this community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of love and of grace and of mercy and of forgiveness. And so whatever the circumstances are six months from now, we don't have to worry about it. And we know that we can still have joy and peace and love in all of it. May we do all things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to learn the things that you are teaching us. Lord, we thank you for your uh, incredible patience with us as stubborn and stiff-necked people. God, we so easily slip into the temptation uh, to to try to have things our way. Lord, we pray that you would help us to resist that temptation. God, help us um, to recognize it when it comes and help us above all to want to truly, honestly, and with humility to discover your way in all things. To follow your lead as the king. Lord, that we would be um, good representatives of you in all that we do and all that we say. And God, that we would um, that we would know you and experience the peace and the joy that comes from that. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.